With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Stories of Vision Loss This episode features Chelsea. If you have a good working team, so person and dog, and you're just observing from the outside, it really does look like the dog is doing everything. The person walks down the sidewalk, they avoid the obstacles, the dog stops at the curb, and, and the next thing a person sees is the light changes and the person and the dog cross the street. And what people don't see is, you know, the person listening. And then when that traffic does change, when the the light does change and traffic is in that person's favor, you know, they don't hear the person tell the dog forward to go across the street. So I am Chelsea White, and I am 40, over 40. Do you want exact (laughs) number? (laughs) Yeah, over 40 is good. Okay, I'm closer to 50 than 40. How's that? (laughs) That's good. So I currently live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. Been here for almost 21 years. Originally born and raised, grew up in Nebraska, for the most part the Lincoln area. I currently work for one of the guide dog schools uh, as an outreach person, so I travel quite a bit. Um, and that actually is one of my hobbies. I love to travel. So it's, my job fits me well because I, I both love to travel for work and for fun. Um, what other hobbies do I have? Um, I love to read. I'm an avid reader. I also enjoy cooking and baking. Love to cook, love to bake. Um, a huge dog person, especially German Shepherd. Huge German Shepherd fan. Also really enjoy sports. Um, up until about four or five years ago, played beat baseball. And unfortunately, a knee injury has kept me from playing, but I still really enjoy following the sport. And, and I keep telling myself someday I'll get back into it, but I don't think my knee is going to allow it. But there you go. So I really enjoy sports. Growing up in Nebraska, uh, you're pretty much, you have no choice but to be a, a Cornhusker football fan. So a huge Husker fan, so big red. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me in a nutshell. So tell me more about traveling, both for work and for fun. I love I love going new places. I like to try foods from different, you know, I love to find, you know, that really good restaurant uh, in an area. Also, if a particular area is, you know, known for something specific, uh, I really like to, you know, try to find that. I unfortunately have not had the pleasure of traveling 
internationally really much. I've been up into Canada, but beyond that, that's about it. But the draw of different ethnic foods is is huge. So hopefully someday I will get out of North America. <laughs> I love meeting new people and getting to know you know people in different places. So I'm, I'm kind of one of those travelers that I enjoy seeing the you know, the touristy things, you know, you got to see X, Y, and Z if you're in a particular city. But I also really enjoy, you know, kind of trying to find like the local spots, you know, where local people hang out and, and where locals go to, you know, try to get a better sense of a place. So I, I, I try to do that both when I travel for work and when I travel for fun. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about what it's like growing up in Nebraska. I've never been there either. Is it just freezing? <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, the population of the state is probably equal to the population of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, or, or pretty close. So it's a pretty a pretty rural state. You get much outside of Lincoln or Omaha, which are the two bigger cities in the state. It's, it's pretty rural. Lots of uh, farming, uh, agriculture type stuff. And it's not not known as the Cornhusker State for nothing. Lots of corn and lots of livestock, lots of cattle. Grew up in Lincoln for the most part. First few years we lived in a little tiny town, but I was pretty young, so I don't have much memory of that. But Lincoln for the most part. So a city, mm, about 200,000 to 250 people. And Nebraska gets the best of both worlds as far as weather goes. It gets really cold and snowy in the winter and really hot and humid and disgusting in the summer. So I <laughs> say so you get the best of both worlds depending on how you look at it. And um, But a good, a good place to grow up. So. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about reading. What kind of books are you into? Like fiction, nonfiction? What are you drawn to? Uh, fiction, for the most part. Uh, occasionally, I'll pick up a nonfiction book if it's, you know, a topic that I'm interested in. But, but typically, fiction. I like a little bit of an escape. And then, as far as what kind of books? Oh my gosh, I will read almost anything. I I really love sci-fi fantasy. I love a good mystery. I really, I I really enjoy if I can find a good one, a good horror novel on occasion. I'm not even opposed to, you know, a good romance occasionally. So I, I there's not a whole lot that as far as genres that that I haven't read some from and haven't, you know, found a book that, you know, I've I've enjoyed. So let's see. I guess we can go into how vision loss fits into your story cuz then I can ask you more about guide dogs and how you travel so much just as a blind person. So I have been visually impaired since birth. Uh, I have a Leber's congenital amaurosis. So I have a retinal degenerative disease, um, sort of in the same generalish family as retinitis pigmentosa, um, except, uh, you know, RP tends to show up in people typically when they're, you know, 30s, 40s, you know, and, and quite often shows up as night you know, night stuff starts to be an issue first. And Lieber's uh, LCA is almost always apparent at birth. 
and the level of vision loss at birth is considerably greater than you know what your average RP person would would see. I was born with some decent usable vision. I could see like not small details of stuff like I could see a person's face, but I didn't get much beyond you know kind of the shadow of eyes and things like that like I didn't have a lot of detail and very very photophobic light was a huge factor in you know what I could and couldn't see and that vision loss has been pretty gradual uh, as I've gotten older to the point now where I have some light perception I think <laughs> some days it's, some days it's, it's like I think I see light and, and somebody will say, uh, no, you're, there's nothing there. So really bright light I still get, the sun and things like that. But if I'm inside, it's, it's difficult on occasion to tell whether lights are on or off. So that loss has been pretty gradual over, you know, the last 40 plus years. So so did you did you use your vision as a child and then slowly move to non-visual like alternative techniques or did you pretty I, much just use braille and everything from the beginning? Um, a little bit of both. So mm-hmm. I am very blessed with amazing parents and amazing teachers, both TVI and O&M going through school who, you know, my parents were told when they finally got a diagnosis, when they finally figured out what my eye condition was when I was, I think about four is when I was finally diagnosed. And they were told that I was going to lose the vision that I did have, which, you know, even at that point wasn't great. And so my parents were proactive and, and did some research and and realized, you know, hey, we probably need to do something about this sooner rather than later. So when I started school, not in kindergarten, I don't remember having a, a TBI or anything in kindergarten, but I know first grade, uh, I started with a TBI. And along with learning to read print, I started learning Braille. And I didn't use it a whole lot through most of elementary school because, you know, print then was still pretty, you know, books weren't very long, you know, print in a lot of, you know, kids' books was a little bigger, so I could pretty much keep up with my classmates and, you know, do with the print. Once I got into middle school, things got longer, print got smaller, and enlarging stuff really didn't help a whole lot just because it, it, it was still longer. There wasn't much you could do about the length of things. And I got pretty fatigued pretty quickly. And so I made that visually fatigued pretty quickly. And so I made that transition from using mostly print to using mostly Braille around middle, late, kind of late middle school, early high school. I also, that was probably where I lost vision the quickest. So I, I had a, a, a fairly significant you know, loss of vision sort of between early middle school and early high school. And so between just length of things and, and that kind of stuff and then the loss of the vision, um, I really had to make that transition. So I was super thankful that I learned the Braille when I did because that transition was easier. You know, I didn't have to learn a whole new something 
skills were a little rusty because, you know, I didn't use it regularly, but it it came back pretty quickly. So I wasn't, you know, I, I was able to make that transition without a lot of, you know, missing of school and, and getting too far behind in things. So mm-hmm. as far as O&M goes, um, I did not get consistent O&M training until about fourth grade. Before that, I'd had a couple of lessons here and there. I'd spent a couple of summers at the School for the Blind in Nebraska at their summer program. And I don't honestly remember cane stuff, like mobility, but I'm sure I had it. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I had a cane, but I just, I don't, I don't honestly remember going on a, a mobility lesson, but I'm sure I did. And then, like I said, it, a couple of, you know, lessons here and there during the school year, but nothing real consistent until fourth grade. And and that's actually when we moved to Lincoln, and that's when I got consistent, uh, not only consistent TBI, but a cons- consistent orientation and mobility instructor. So. so now as a professional adult traveling around and just you travel so much with your job, what are some of your favorite kind of tips and tricks getting around totally unfamiliar places? Um, I'm assuming like Uber, you know, your phone, like what kind of things do you do? Uh, so first of all, I, at this point in time, I'm a guide dog traveler. I've been, I've been a guide dog traveler ever since I was 16. So I think I was born to be a guide dog traveler. I think some people are cane travelers, some people are dog travelers, and some people kind of go back and forth between the two. And I'm a dog person. I love traveling with a guide dog. So beyond that, for me, I think, first of all, nothing will ever take the place of good O&M skills. Just, you know, good old-fashioned, you know, being able to, to the best of anybody, you know, to the best of a person's ability, to be able to, you know, judge traffic and cross streets and count blocks and, you know, keep track of where you're at and, you know, utilize sounds and and all that kind of stuff Um, nothing will ever truly take the place of that I don't think maybe someday but probably not in my lifetime for sure but beyond that I will say that technology is is awesome Uber and Lyft have for the most part made my life a whole lot easier I love the all the stuff available on my phone um, as far as you know GPS um, and accessible GPS I really like Oh my gosh, it just totally went out of my head. Soundscape for for GPS. I haven't played with it a whole lot yet, but the the new indoor uh, navigation stuff. Way around. Wait, yes. Um, I have a I've I've, I've I've seen a couple of videos, um, but I really haven't played with it a whole lot yet. Mostly because I haven't been in a place where it's been available, but it looks pretty cool. And then I use Ira quite a bit. I love that app. Yeah, yeah, I love Ira. I use it quite a bit in airports. So, you know, if I'm looking for a specific gate or get to, you know, the security checkpoint and I'm like, oh my gosh, which line is TSA pre-check? Because it's not always real obvious, you know, just to kind of stand there and listen. It's like, oh my gosh, people are going like 50 million different directions. So I use Ira quite a bit. And then just even in, you know, like a hotel room, you get in there and you get in there and you go, oh my gosh, it's disgustingly hot in here. I need to turn up the, you know, or turn down the air conditioner and quite often that stuff is inaccessible. So 
you know, even using Ira for those little things has been a huge game changer. Whereas in the past, I'd have to call the front desk and they'd have to send somebody up and, you know, all that. So it's it's been it's been really, really, really nice. Yeah, technology is amazing, all these things. Yes. So tell me more about your job and guide dogs and, you know, all the things you're passionate about in that realm. So I'm a guide dog traveler. I've traveled with a guide dog now for, oh gosh, 30, this summer will be 32 years. So if people can do math, they can figure out how old I am. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I've had dogs for 32 years now. I'm currently working with my fifth dog and... We've been together now, yesterday was four years, so it's crazy. Uh, But I work for one of the guide dog schools. I actually work for the Seeing Eye, so I work for the guide dog school in New Jersey. My technical title is Outreach Specialist, which kind of boils down to education and recruiting. So I travel all over North America and uh, educate folks on, on guide dogs you know, how they work, what they do, what they don't do, and then recruiting folks, you know, to not only choose to partner with a dog, but also to choose the seeing eye. So that is pretty much what I do. So I do a lot of conferences and conventions. I visit lots of agencies that provide services to blind or visually impaired folks and just, you know, kind of spread the word and and educate folks about, you know, about guide dogs. Yeah. Do you have like a lot of, do you get common questions that people might be interested in hearing and, you know, like, is a guide dog right for me? Um, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> open up that can of worms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I would say, I would say probably the biggest misconception that people have about guide dogs is that you can hang on to the handle and the dog will take care of the rest. And that, that is not, it's not that easy. You know, they, they're guide, they're guide dogs. They're not GPSs. You know, you can't tell your dog, hey, take me to, you know, Starbucks and, and end up at Starbucks. I mentioned earlier that, you know, nothing will take the place of, of those good O&M skills. And that's definitely the case with, with a guide. You know, they, they're fantastic. They're, they're amazingly well-trained. They're super smart all of that kind of stuff but at the end of the day you know it's still i always hate to say just a dog because i, I just i don't like that but but they are still dogs and you know so you're you're dealing with a creature that has about the mental capacity of say a really smart two-year-old you know or your average three-year-old so those good orientation and mobility skills are still really important. Knowing where you're at, knowing how to get there, being able to listen to traffic and make good judgments on street crossings and those kinds of things. Because dogs don't do that. You know, they don't make that decision to cross the street. That's yours. Um, you know, dogs are colorblind, so red and green and yellow really mean nothing to them. <laughs> and they don't read, at least as far as we know. And, you know, so the walk and don't walk of signs you know, again, means really nothing to them. So having those good orientation and mobility skills is important to have, you know, before you even consider getting a dog because you will use them quite often differently, but you'll still use those skills. And I think where, you know, people 
the general population gets the misconception is if you have a team, a, a good working team, so person and dog, and you're just observing from the outside, it really does look like the dog is doing everything. Because the person walks down the sidewalk, they avoid the obstacles, the dog stops at the curb, and and the next thing a person sees is, you know, the, the light changes and the person and the dog cross the street. And what people don't hear um, or observe, if, if unless they really, really make some observations, is that yeah, the dog goes around the obstacles. That's that's the dog's job. But and and the dog's job is to stop at that curb. But then what they don't see is you know the person listening. And then when that traffic does change, when the the light does change and traffic is in that person's favor, you know they don't hear the person tell the dog forward to go across the street. So I think you know that's kind of where that comes from. Is it it looks from the out at the the average outside observer that the dog really is doing everything, and they're really not. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Yeah, they don't they don't hear the handler constantly. Good job. Yeah, and, and, and giving yeah. giving those lefts, rights, and those forwards, and 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 all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, but um, that's probably the you know I get questions in that theme quite often you know I'll get well how does the dog when to know to cross the street or you know how does the dog know where the person wants to go and it's like no, no it doesn't quite work that way <laughs> yeah so tell me so, what you love about the shepherd what is it about that breed that is so endearing oh gosh so they tend and there's always exceptions there's always exceptions mm-hmm. to everything but they tend to be they tend to have a little bit of an attitude um, they tend to be a little sassy you know they're they're always thinking, so you gotta kind of be one step ahead of them and and be thinking ahead of them and thinking with them. I like their sense of you know when when my dog is working um although my my current dog is is that exception um but typically when a shepherd is working, they're working, they're very serious, and you know they have a job to do um my current dog is is not quite it's not quite there but but typically, you know, they're very, very. But then when they're not working, you know, they they throw them themselves wholeheartedly into fun and and that kind of stuff. So I really enjoy them. It sounds like you might like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, like they, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah. Does that come out in other ways in your life, liking the challenge? Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What 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 crazy person is going to travel all over the country, right? I mean, <laughs> right. some of us some of us really enjoy it, but most people quite often think I'm a little bit crazy. So, I guess you travel on weekends too. Yeah, I've actually I've actually been gone the last two weekends back and forth this last kind of week and a half to New Jersey and Pennsylvania for a couple of different events and a conference and. And then back to you know, the seeing eyes in New Jersey. So, yeah. and I got and I got to see my first official horse and buggy in uh, Pennsylvania Dutch country. So that was cool. Oh, cool! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, people people really do like travel in the horse and buggy, and they were they were just heading into town, horse and buggy on the side of the road. So there you go. <laughs> A big thank you to Chelsea for sharing her story, and thank you to MJ Jefferson for our production and creative partnership. 
please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe so that others can find us. It really does help. And if you have follow-up questions for any of our guests, please contact us at storiesofvisionloss@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And thank you for listening.